Referring Things receives numerous questions every week. Today, Dr. Bill Petrie with guest host and Greek scholar, Rick Farwell, will answer the most common questions. And I'm your host, Bill Petrie, and I have a special treat for you today. I have uh, with me uh, Rick Farwell from uh, Pauline Church of Christ, Christ in uh, South Carolina. And um, Brother Rick is, is somebody who has meant an awful lot to me in my Christian life. And I can honestly tell you I wouldn't be here talking to you today without him and his influence. And out of everybody that I know, I really consider him to be my pastor. And I thought it would be a great show today if a lot of the Bible questions that I get from you, uh, I would just ask my pastor and let him answer those questions for you. I figure, why not ask the expert? So how, how are you doing today, Rick? I'm doing quite well, Bill. Thank you. It's a privilege to uh, get a chance to uh, try out this uh, podcast business. Uh, <laughs> been, uh, been looking forward to it. Well, I'm looking forward to having you, and hopefully this can be the beginning of uh, having you on on a, a somewhat regular basis. Well, I hope so. If I, if, I don't, uh, if I don't mess up too badly, then maybe that'll be a good indication of future ones to follow. We figure if people are desperate enough to listen to me, that they'll be more than happy to listen to you. Well, I, that's a, that sounds reasonable. <laughs> we'll so, put that hypothesis to the test. There you go. Uh, well, you know, a lot of the questions I want to ask you are ones that typically I do get asked at least once or twice a week, uh, multiple times. And I figure if I have a podcast where I have all these questions on it, I can just constantly refer people to that episode where I don't have to sit there and write out individual responses. So uh, I'm just going to give these to you in, you know, no particular order. But, uh, you know, one of the first ones I got is dealing with the idea of punishment. And the question is this, if punishment is not eternal, how can life be eternal? And they typically will use passages like Matthew chapter 25, verse 46 to support this supposition. So how would you answer that one? Well, that's the old uh, thing that uh, Augustine put forth many, many years ago. And it's, it's, it's an old, old argument. It's been answered uh, many times. It's been put forward as a new discovery. Somebody comes up with the idea. They say, oh, wow, well, this shows you right here. The word's got to mean the same because the word's used in the same place. And I, and I will agree, yes, it does mean the same thing. But it's, it's not based on the length of something, the word for eternal or ionios in the Greek is more of a word, it's an adjective, and an adjective is a modifier, and it shows the quality of something. And so the the punishment, which more accurately should could be translated the the correction or curbing or or chastening, is there in Matthew 25 said to be of this type of uh, quality. Ionian, and that the other uh, nations in turn are promised uh, 
the same the a quality of life which was prepared for them uh, before the foundation. Well, both words are used. The word is used in both places of something about quality. So the the chasing has a quality about it that is eonian, not necessarily how long it's going to last. And the life has a quality about it that is eonian. It has a context. And <clears throat> there's other words in the Greek that are far stronger words to be used if you wanted to portray the idea of a life that doesn't have an end. And that's words like uh, uh, Athanasia, which is immortality uh, or immortal, incorruptible. Uh, there's really strong negative words and they don't need this word, which is an adjective for a quality of time. In fact, there's places where the noun form of the word Ionian is used, uh, Ionios, uh, and it's talking about the for the ages of the ages or for the eons of the eons or something like that. And it doesn't mean endlessness even in those places because there's a place where the Lord Jesus is said to reign for the ages of the ages, or as the King James says in Revelation 11.25, that he'll reign forever and ever. But then when you go to a passage like 1 Corinthians 15.25, it says he must reign until he has placed all his enemies under his feet. And there it has an end. And it even refers to what's going to happen at that end point. So then that means that the word forever and ever are uh, more uh, reference to uh, like a day of days or something and not the idea of endlessness. Uh, no more than the word holy of holies means endless holy places. Right. You know, it, it, it's interesting because you mentioned the word aeon and aeonius. And uh, one of the questions I, I get asked a lot is the importance of those two words. Yes. So um, you touched on it, but maybe you could elaborate a little bit more detail uh, the significance of those two words and, and why it's really critical to have those words translated correctly. Uh, because again, on a number of episodes, we've really addressed how that word is mistranslated. So maybe you could uh, explain that. Well, probably in our language, uh, we have a word which we call an eternal or infinite. And the Greek word is not a really close fit to that. It, in fact, it's probably <clears throat> in many cases better to just transliterate the Greek word into English so that you've still got that word brought forth and then you would allow the context or the usage to indicate what kind of a situation it is. For instance, there's places where it talks about Aeonian times or like in Romans 16, uh, 25. And then, but it also talks about the Aeonian God. Well, if, if the, uh, and you, there's places where we read about before Aeonian times or before this, well, if the word is eternal, you can't have a before. Right. You certainly can't have an after. So that indicates that the word doesn't fit our word eternal. And even in the ancient, uh, the way the Greeks used it, even before the New Testament was written, they never seemed to use it in the sense of an endlessness. They long, used it of long duration or a quality of something. And the Latin word uh, was kind of influenced by that same concept. It wasn't until many years later that the idea of an endlessness got incorporated into the word. 
And, uh, but it was never in the original Greek. In fact, uh, G. Campbell Morgan, a great Bible expositor from uh, the previous century, um, was is recorded to have said that there was no word in the original Greek or Hebrew that connotate the idea of innocence that we use in our word. In fact, there is a Hebrew word, which is pretty much an equivalent of the Greek word ionion and ionios, and it's olam. And olam is used many places and translated forever or never ending or something like that in the Old Testament. And there's one particular place that, that really shows that that word can't mean endlessness in uh, Isaiah chapter 32, verse 15. The King James Version talks about Jerusalem will become a waste and a desolation forever. And then the next verse says, until the spirit of God is poured out from on high, and then the waste and desolation will be, become a green garden and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So in other words, you have the word forever, and then immediately following the word forever, you've got until. Well, if forever meant endlessness, you can't have a endlessness until. That's that. That's simply not going to work. It's just so common you, sense. Yeah, common sense. So, And there's no debate about the word meaning until because the next verse then says that this condition of Jerusalem or Israel will not be a permanent condition because one day it will become a fruitful plain. So even there within one verse, uh, you have something that is said to be, but if it was said to be for a long time or for an age until, that would make more sense. Right. And so I think what happened was that they, uh, they, there were places where it seemed to fit the word forever seemed to fit. The word eternal seemed to fit. But there's places where it absolutely cannot work like that. And even in the places where eternal seemed to fit, the word for a long time would also fit. So it's kind of like there's a place in Daniel where the uh, the uh, king, uh, they say to him, oh, king, live forever, I think King James says. It does. And that's really not a good translation because none of them ever thought that the king would never die. But perhaps in our language, we could take a cue from the French where they would say, Viva la France or Viva la whatever. And the idea was that may it be a long life. Oh, king, may you live a long time. Right. That's a much more uh, understandable concept uh, than in putting into the mouth of those people that they were thinking that the king would never die when they knew that previous kings had all died. and But this king, they would just wish him a long life. Which makes a lot of sense. Yes. And it kind of goes along with like Jude when he says that, uh, you know, places like Sodom and Gomorrah are set as an example for the eternal vengeance of, of fire. Yeah. And then Ezekiel 16.55, where it references that they're going to be restored to their former glory. That's right. So how can they be an example of non-ending fire if they're going to in non-ending judgment if they're restored? That's right. And in fact, there is another word that is used in the New Testament, and it's not the word I own. It's the word asbestos. <laughs> and it's translated unquenchable, which is not a bad translation. It means something that can't be put out, but it doesn't mean a fire that will never stop burning. Because while you can't quench it, it will quench itself. In other words, it's, it burns till it finishes burning. And once everything's consumed, then it goes out. You just can't put it out before everything's been consumed. 
Right. That's the meaning of the word asbestos or unquenchable. And, and there's actually a passage, I think, in the Hebrew scriptures, which says that uh, Jerusalem was burned with unquenchable fire. Right. Well, that means as long as there was uh, fuel for the fire, it continued to burn. But as soon as the fuel was consumed, the fire went out. It just couldn't be put out. Right. Well, I think we have a more recent example in history with uh, the, the bombing of Dresden in World War mm -hmm. II where they created an unquenchable fire. That's right. Uh, we called that a firestorm. Yes, yes. Right. Those firestorms would burn and consume everything that could be consumed, but then they would go out. They didn't continue to burn. Right. They weren't like a volcano, which which uh, brings magma up from the earth, which for all practical purposes, when you compare it to what happened in Dresden or even Hiroshima or places like that, uh, it was over in a matter of hours, as opposed to the magma, which comes out of the earth, may be around for uh, millions of years, but even that is not endless. Right. right. <clears throat> Eventually it runs out of uh, a supply of it. Well, very good. Thank you. Next question I'm going to ask you is, is one I get all the time. And <clears throat> let me uh, phrase it the way the last qu questioner gave it to me. Well, if everyone is going to have it, then why did Christ have to die? Aren't you nullifying the death of Jesus? And if God is going to save everyone, why bother telling anyone about Jesus? Okay, well, the first part is that if God's going to save everyone, why did Jesus have to die? And that would be like saying, well, if everyone's going to uh, get a meal, uh, why does he have to pay for the meal? <laughs> Well, the payment had to be made. <clears throat> Number one, Jesus Christ displays the loving kindness of God, and it was bought with a price. So in other words, it was not uh, a uh, salvation that would, could happen apart from Jesus Christ. So therefore, by him paying for all, it guarantees that all will be saved, but all couldn't be saved unless he paid for all. Right. So, you know, you, that's the causality. And uh, why tell people about it? <clears throat> well, it's good news. It's, it's a wonderful thing to know that we are victorious. That would be like saying, well, if you know you're going to, your, uh, your team is going to win the game, why even bother to go out there on the field and play? Right. Well, you say, well, we know we're a really good team. We're going to play our best game and we're going to win. That kind of confidence is contagious and you want to, spread that confidence around your team. But if you say, well, you know, we're going to win. Why even bother playing? Well, that's, that's the equivalent of saying, well, why tell people about Jesus Christ if everybody's going to be saved anyway? Right. You know, I often think of it with, with that question when I get asked that also. It's, it's almost like looking at it and it's, well, why, why tell your children not to steal when you know that if they're shoplifting, for instance, they're only going to get a slap on the hand. Yeah. Right? Well, you're trying to build a character into somebody as well. That's right. And if you're instilling character into somebody, you want them to know everything about what it is that you want them to know. That's right. So if 
Christ is our Savior, why would we not want everyone to know what he's accomplished for us? And there's another thing, too. Just because we believe that he is the Savior of all mankind and that all will eventually be saved, that does not mean there won't be an accounting for what you do, what your actions are. Your actions have consequences, and they must be dealt with because it's re there has to be remedial things. And so the better life you live, the less remedial correction you'll have to have and the greater your reward. But if you don't, if you aren't told about it, you know, in fact, people that are, I think, I think that was one of your thoughts that you were uh, dealing with, with somebody were saying, well, you know, uh, you got to believe in eternal hell to be good, you know, right. but if, what if I told you that, well, you, you get the same penalty for shoplifting as you do for jaywalking death. Would that cause people to be better or would that cause people to say, well, this is so ridiculous and so out, uh, you know, in other words, I might as well just do the worst possible thing I can do because the, the punishment's got to be the same. Right. And if I mess up and happen to uh, drive a mile over the speed limit, I'm going to get the same penalty as if I went out and murdered somebody or stole a million dollars because it's all going to be the death penalty. Right. Well, that causes an unreasonable, that causes people to become, uh, even more uh, uh, recalcitrant and more animosity because of the unreasonableness of the uh, punishment for whatever crime is committed. In other words, there's no degrees. But with us, what we believe, <clears throat> not only are we all going to be saved, but there will be degrees of correction. Some, some will receive many stripes and some will re receive few. But if everybody gets that's a sinner gets eternal hell regardless and gets exactly the same infinite uh, suffering, then how can you have many and few stripes? That's true. You know, when, when I hear that line of questioning, I, I just cringe to myself because it doesn't even make sense. No. Um, not from a rational standpoint. And it's it's almost like, uh, you know, trying to self-justify your own position. To yeah. Me. <clears throat> the, the next question I have is every knee shall bow. Is it going to be forced or free will? It'll be free will. Um, and this is this would be to the glory <laughs> of God. God is not going to do like a boy on the like the bully in the school grounds who grabs another boy and puts his arm behind his back and twists it until he cries out uncle. God, in fact, in the Greek there in Philippians chapter two, I believe is the verse that you're thinking of. It says that at the name, you know, uh, every knee shall bend and every tongue shall be a claiming that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God, the father in the Greek, <clears throat> grammatically, the word acclaiming or avowing uh, is in the middle voice. And the Greeks had a way of, of uh, showing something if it was active voice or middle voice or passive voice. The middle voice always had reference to somebody doing it for oneself. For instance, in the Greek language, <clears throat> the word bathe is always in the middle voice <clears throat> or it can be in the middle. Well, it's not always in the middle voice. Let me take that back a little bit. It's when it's in the middle voice, it's always used of one bathing oneself. In other words, you can bathe your, your dog or you can be bathed by somebody else, but if you're bathing in the middle voice, 
the idea is you bathe yourself. You're bathing yourself. You're giving yourself a bath. You're not actively bathing another object or a, a dog or somebody, a baby who can't bathe themselves. And you're not uh, uh, being bathed by somebody else. It's in the middle voice. Well, in the same way, this word acclaim is it's not God making you do that. It's not, uh, it's you doing it for yourself. Right. Because one who's convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Uh, God is going to win, and however long it takes. So there, that's another thing about the word Ionian or and the correctiveness. It, it has it, it's it's only uh, it only pertains to as long as it needs to pertain to bring about the uh, free will uh, agreement. Uh, of, of those who bend the knee. And it says that all will bend the knee in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. In other words, the, the three categories of, of uh, creation uh, will all bend the knee and acclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. And they do it willingly. They do it because they've come to see the light. And uh, it's not that they're being forced to do it. It's that they do it, and that glorifies God. God's always glorified by man's willing acceptance and acknowledging of the truth, not uh, by a forced uh, act. And that's exciting to know because yes, it is. I think unfortunately with a lot of religion today, individuals try to force fatalism into the thinking because in their mind, if God gave everybody free will, then man's will ultimately can supersede what God God's will is. Yes. And I think they have this mistaken idea that God has to force them rather than believe that man exercising his own free will eventually will lead them. See, free will does not mean that you're, that you're more powerful than no, it but does you not. hear people say, well, if you've got free will, then jump to the moon. Well, no, that, that's, that's not to do with free will. That has to do with how much power, how much strength you have, your strength of ability, not uh, the ability to think for oneself and then make, make decisions that you yourself are accountable for. In other words, the whole purpose of judgment is that each one must give an account of himself to God. Well, the account is not going to be, well, God, you made me do everything I did. So therefore, you know, that's not giving an account. That's... Uh, that's basically sounding like Adam and Eve in the garden where they're trying to pass the blame on to somebody else. You know, they, they made me do it. That That's not giving an account. Giving an account is saying, yes, I did this and this was wrong. I know I did this wrongly. And it's not saying, well, you know, you made me do this or, you know, take responsibility. Right. When one takes responsibility and, and that has a good and a bad aspect to it as well, <clears throat> they, can, uh, they can acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. And they do it willingly because they just, it, it, it makes so much sense. And they, but they have to come to this through a period of time. It takes time. For some people, it's going to take a lot longer than others right. to come to this acclamation. But they will all come to it. You know, I, I was going to ask you a question since we're on this uh, discussion of free will, right? You wrote an article that I had read quite a few years ago. Um, and I, I don't remember the exact title of it, but it was the idea of of you're not sinning if God forced you to do it. Oh, yes. <clears throat> um, maybe you could elaborate a little bit on the significance of that, because I know 
a lot of those that come from, say, the Calvinist sort of camp have this idea of fatalism and everything being predetermined. Yes. And could you maybe elaborate on that idea on how that would impact well, sin? If, if you, if you, sin uh, means to miss the mark, to uh, go wide of the what was being aimed at. Well, if God is uh, making you do that, then you haven't sinned. You actually did exactly what you were supposed to do. So you can't, then you can't have a sin. And, you know, they say God can't miss the mark. God can't sin. Well, then if God's making you do something, you're not sinning either. So uh, you, you don't miss a mark if you miss, if you hit exactly where God intended you to hit. Right. So there's no mark to miss. So there can't be sin. Sin has got to be somewhere in that you willfully, uh, 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 willfully miss the mark that God has set for you. For instance, I know it's wrong to steal because God has decreed that it's wrong to steal. Mm -hmm. And I go into a grocery store and steal a couple pounds of meat. Mm -hmm. That would be a sin because I've missed God's That's right. standard. That's right. Okay. Um, another question kind of dealing with the, with the same subject since we're on this idea of free will. Um, when we get into the passages where it talks about God repenting. Mm. Is it possible for a God who has predetermined everything to repent? No, it would not be possible because God is not a prisoner. Uh, that's made God, you make God a prisoner of, of by making God this God of, uh, you know, who's already predetermined everything before he even uh, did anything. Uh, you create a situation. It's kind of like a man who's uh, say you you uh, you're the pilot of an airplane, and so you predetermine uh, and put the airplane on autopilot. Now, could you said be said to be in control of the airplane? Now the airplane is running on a predetermined program, and you're not you're there, but you're not able to change it. Right. And that would make God a prisoner of of future. So if God can change his mind about something, then that means the future is different from the past. The past is set in stone, so to speak. It's, in other words, uh, what happened a uh, hundred years ago or a thousand years ago, uh, one day later, it still happened. But if it's yet in the future, it hasn't been determined. It's still, is there still a certain amount of, of, uh, of, uh, wiggle room. There's still a certain amount of, of uh, uh, freedom in, in the future. And so <clears throat> if, but God knows certain things that he has planned and people use that verse, you know, he says, I know the end from the beginning or something right. like that. <clears throat> well, he knows what he's going to do, but he also leaves some things uh, optional. For instance, in the case of Isaiah and, and, uh, uh, and has King Hezekiah, King Hezekiah, I believe that's in Isaiah 32, was told by Isaiah, by God, that uh, he needed to set his house in order because he was going to die and not live. He was sick at that moment. And then uh, he began, Hezekiah began to pray and pleaded with the Lord. And as, and Isaiah was leaving, leaving the palace. <clears throat> and after he got outside the palace, 
a certain distance, God turned him around, sent him back to Hezekiah with a new message. And that message was, I have seen your prayer, uh, your tears. I've heard your prayers. Behold me adding 15 years to your life. And this is how you will know that this is true, uh, that the sundial will go back 10 degrees, which is roughly 40 minutes. So I don't know. We're not told exactly how he made the sundial go backwards. Was it, did he refract the sunlight or did he move the earth? you know, in a, in a direction that caused the sun to, whatever it was, we're not told. But the point is, <clears throat> Hezekiah received 15 more years. Now, if God cannot lie, which scripture says, God cannot lie, he's not a liar, uh, then it was true when he told Hezekiah that he was going to die. And it was also true when he said, I've decided to add 15 more years to your life. Mm -hmm. So they both were true, but since they were in the future, they weren't uh, already preset and there was nothing that could be done to change it. The future can be changed within certain, you know, in other words, God says, well, you know, certain things are going to happen, but then there's a certain amount of, for instance, if I was going to take a trip from here to Buffalo, there's probably half a dozen different ways I could go from here sure. to Buffalo, Cortland, Ohio to Buffalo, New York. Uh, there's different trips. And if I were going to Buffalo, New York, and somebody was riding with me and they said, well, could you uh, go this way <clears throat> instead and we can pick up this or that or the other? And I might say, no, no, we're going to Buffalo. We're going to go this uh, this route. But then later on, I might say, well, you know, you make a good point. I'll, I'll go ahead and, uh, you know, uh, humor you and we'll go by this direction. We'll still get to Buffalo and it won't be that much out of the way. And it's a little bit of a detour but uh, I'm able to fulfill uh, my directive of going to Buffalo, but I'm at the same time able to accommodate uh, a side trip. Sure. And God can very easily do that, which he did with Hezekiah, because then Hezekiah lived 15 more years. And in that 15 years, he began a son who became king after Hezekiah died. Right. So, uh, and so there was a future history that was uh, different than what the future history might've been and under another circumstance. Right. You know, and, and I, I really do believe that the scriptures, if somebody reads it honestly, has numerous examples like that. And the one that always comes to my mind is uh, Moses, when uh, God is going to wipe out the nation and start it anew with, mm -hmm. with just Moses. And, That's right. And Moses pleads and lays out a case on why he shouldn't do that. And God heeds what Moses has to say. So... It wasn't just some kind of a pantomime where God play acted, which was which would be hypocritical. It would that he was going to he was only pretending he was going to then he would have been lying. Right. He, you know, but a God honestly, honestly did intend to start a new nation with Moses, and then Moses uh entreated him, and then God uh seen, and I think God actually welcomes it's sort of like, and I cannot remember right offhand the daughters of this particular man that they had no male heirs and oh, Zelal, uh, yeah, Zelophad. that's right. Zelophad. I always yeah. had a hard time pronouncing yeah. it. Well, God actually added something to the rules there in under Moses to take that into account because he says they made a good point, you know? Right. So God is not like Pilate where Pilate says what I've written, I have written, you know, won't change anything. Right. God can uh, allow in his infinite wisdom to allow some changes and some human input and interaction, and still it doesn't derail his ultimate plan. Sure.
And, you know, really, if we believe that Christ's sacrifice was sufficient, in a way, we believe that because obviously he changed his plan from just animal sacrifices. Yes. Which was a shadow of That's what was right. to come anyways. Um, just to shift gears a little bit. I know um, you've done a lot of work with the Differentiator website. Yes. And I want to give you a few moments to talk about that and maybe some of the materials that might be of interest to individuals that want to know more about Scripture and do their own studies. Yes. Uh, well, the website is, uh, it was, uh, we began scanning articles from the old Differentiator magazine, which was a, a bi-monthly periodical published originally in uh, Tacoma, Washington by E.A. Larson. Then later on, uh, it ceased publication in the, I think it was 1953, 54. And then it was taken up uh, within a few months later by Mr. Alexander Thompson and Major R.B. Withers in uh, the United Kingdom. And then they began publishing it again, and it continued to be published until about 1971. And there's some very good articles in it. Uh, we've already uh, published some of the articles from the differentiator, all one word, .net. And we've actually made them available as books on Amazon. We have uh, uh, one booklet. Uh, well, it's actually, it's a book of uh, a little over 300 pages, Who is Our God, in which there are, uh, I think, about 18 chapters that Alexander Thompson delved into whole uh, uh, teaching about uh, Jesus Christ and his relationship and how he is both God and man and God's ways and uh, over throughout the history of scripture and uh, various other viewpoints of, of God and, and uh, what his thinking was on that. It's quite good. Uh, there's uh, various other books and they're all on Amazon. I, I can't, uh, at the moment, I'm, uh, I'm a little bit exhausted from having a good uh, session at the conference uh, tonight. And so I'm not able to uh, give you a, an exact catalog of all the books, but we're going to have a one or two more probably in the next year. Uh, but they're, uh, they're all uh, either written by uh, Alexander Thompson or uh, Major R.B. Withers uh, or E.A. Larson. We have selected writings, which are some of his early writings bound together in, uh, in uh, book form. And they're all in the area of, uh, I think, uh, 8 to $10 uh, per book. Right. And it's a good buy because we basically are uh, making just just enough profit to pay for the book being published. Um, so we're not uh, we're not charging more than I don't believe any any of those books are uh, even ten dollars. Right, and then we'll conclude with uh, I just need to give you a little plug here. Um, maybe you could let the listeners know of um, your conference that's coming up in in late September, early yes. October, and, uh, you know, whereabouts your church is located. Yeah, we're, so that, uh, the, uh, the dates for our fall conference are going to be uh, the Friday of October 30th. It'll be sometime after 6 o'clock in the evening, the uh, first uh, few speakers. Uh, then on uh, Saturday, the 1st of October, and then uh, we finish up on Sunday uh, for two, two messages, uh, at 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock on uh, the 2nd of October. 
uh, we're located uh, in uh, a little area of uh, the Fairview community, the crossroads, but the, uh, the address is uh, 3036 Leesville, uh, Fairview Road, Leesville, South Carolina. Uh, 29070, I believe is the zip code on that. And we're located approximately uh, halfway between uh, Augusta, uh, Georgia, and Columbia, South Carolina, off I-20. It's about six miles on Highway 178 south of I-20. And uh, uh, it's, um, you know, it's been there. It's been there for, uh, well, that particular building's been there about 60 years. And uh, there was a building there before that. It was all an outgrowth of uh, the evangelist, Edley uh, uh, Loudy's ministry, when he first came into that area back in the, uh, I think sometime in the late 20s, mid to late 20s, 1920s. And so it's a work that's been going on there for uh, nigh 100 years. Right. It's, that's quite impressive. So I'm fortunate today, and I've been talking with uh, my dear friend and the person I consider to be my pastor, uh, Rick Farwell. And uh, like I said, hopefully we'll have you on a lot, Rick. And you, Good. You can uh, maybe uh, next time we'll have a discussion that will really get people uh, thinking in a topic that most people think that they're familiar with, but Really, there's a lot about it that they probably aren't. Maybe what we could do is something on uh, end-time Bible prophecy. Well, that would be interesting. Yes, I've, I've done a good bit of research on that over the years, and and uh, I've uh, got some some understanding, I think, that uh, kind of avoids some of the pitfalls of some of the various uh, more common forms of eschatology. Right. I think that might make an interest, interesting uh, show one one week, so... Maybe that's what we could plan uh, in the very near future. And I want I want to thank Brother Rick for being on with us today. If you want to ever hear any of his messages, we actually do have a link to his um, taped messages, and you can actually hear them on our website. That would be beacon-ministries.org. And... Uh, Anything you t you know that you would check out that he's done, you're going to really find it to be very thought provoking and very well thought out, and yeah, you know, you're going to be very encouraged by it. So I want to thank you for being on with me today. Well, Rick. thank you for having me on, and it was a great pleasure, and uh, always enjoy talking with you. And this time. Uh, Everybody else gets to listen in. Yeah. Well, normally we're not quite this formal, so <laughs> that's right. Yeah. We 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 kind of dressed it up a little bit. I mean, here I am with my tie on. So. Yeah. Well, I'm in my uh, got flamingo t-shirt. Your flamingo. That's right. Pink flamingos. <laughs> but uh, you know, we we look forward to having you in the future. We want to thank you for listening to this week's Differing Things podcast. If you would like to get more information about the Bible, please check out our website, www.beacon-ministries.org. Do not forget to join us next week for a new Differing Things podcast.